Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Wednesday, August 16th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. A lot of great listening over there. Definitely worth your while to get on over there. I will guarantee you, you will find something that you want to listen to. Um, Let's see. I want to continue to point you at the final link in our show notes. It is for the Vail Valley Baptist Church Gifts and Go campaign. We are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can commence establishment of a Christian classic education-based school to provide a trustworthy alternative here within our community. Go ahead and click on the link. Pastor Jay has provided a very, very thorough description of what we're trying to do. And then we would ask three things of you. We'd ask you to pray for us. We'd ask you to prayerfully consider giving to us. And we'd ask you to pass that link along so that others can do the same. All right, well, we're going to be continuing on in our reading like we do every day. And this evening, we're moving on into section four of John 11. Uh, the part, you know, we're John 11, um, Dr. MacArthur's called it the resurrection and the life. And part four is the reactions to the resurrection of Lazarus. It's the aftermath. So the resurrection has happened, and it's what we're going to see um, God willing, tonight, Thursday night, Friday night, we'll see the reactions by three different groups of people, the many, the murderous, and the multitudes. So we're going to, we're going to break that down. Like Dr. As I've said before, like Dr. MacArthur does, and we'll look at what that says. You know, it's kind of a Bible study level Bible, Bible study. Did I make that right? No, actually I want to stay it better. Um, I guess my, my brother, Gene Clyatt says it, it's a study Bible level Bible study. There you go. I said it better. And, 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 and I didn't quote that. I didn't, um, create that term. He did. And I think it's very, very good. That's about what we're doing here, but let's go ahead and let's open up this morning. We're going to go ahead and open up with the fourth day morning prayer. It's called true Christianity. Let's pray. Lord of heaven, thy goodness is inexpressible and inconceivable. In the works of creation, thou art almighty. In the dispensations of providence, all wise. In the gospel of grace, all love. And in thy Son, thou hast provided for our deliverance from the effects of sin, the justification of our persons, the sanctification of our natures, the perseverance of our souls in the path of, in the path of life. Though exposed to the terrors of thy law, we have a refuge from the storm. Though compelled to cry unclean, we have a fountain for sin. Though creature cells of emptiness, we have a fullness accessible to all and incapable of reduction. Grant us always to know that to walk with Jesus makes other interests a shadow and a dream. Keep us from intermittent attention to eternal things. Save us from the delusion of those who fail to go far in religion, who are concerned but not converted, who have another heart but not a new one, who have light, zeal, confidence but not Christ. Let us judge our Christianity, not only by our dependence upon Jesus, but by our love to him, our conformity to him, our knowledge of him. Give us a religion that is both real and progressive, that holds on its way and grows stronger, 
that lives and works in the Spirit, that profits by every correction, and is injured by no carnal indulgence. Amen. Well, sorry, I'm getting a little interrupted here. I'm being used as a scratching post by my older dog, Tiggy. She is a little over 11, and she is a schnoodle. What are you doing, Tiggy? Come here. She determined that uh, I needed to scratch her. So, didn't matter that I'm recording. She doesn't really care. But, all right. Well, let's move on into our morning devotion uh, for August 16th from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. The text for it is from Psalm 29.2. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. God's glory is the result of his nature and acts. He is glorious in his character, for there is such a store of everything that is holy and good and lovely in God that he must be glorious. The actions which flow from his character are also glorious, but while he intends that they should manifest to his creatures his goodness and mercy and justice, he is equally concerned that the glory associated with them should be given only to himself. Nor is there aught in ourselves in which we may glory, for who maketh us to differ from another? And what have we that we did not receive from the God of all grace? Then how careful ought we to be to walk humbly before the Lord? The moment we glorify ourselves, since there, since there is room for one glory only in the universe, we set ourselves up as rivals to the Most High. Shall the insect of an hour glorify itself against the sun which warmed it into life? Shall the potsherd exalt itself above the man who fashioned it upon the wheel? Shall the dust of the desert strive with the whirlwind, or the drops of the ocean struggle with the tempest? Give unto the Lord all ye righteous, give unto the Lord glory and strength, give unto him the honor that is due unto his name. Yet it is perhaps one of the hardest struggles of the Christian life to learn this sentence, not unto us, not unto us, but unto thy name be glory. It is a, it is a lesson which God is ever teaching us and teaching us sometimes by most painful discipline. Let a Christian begin to boast, I can do all things without adding, through Christ which strengthened me. And before long he will have to groan, I can do nothing, and bemoan himself in the dust. When we do anything for the Lord, and he is pleased to accept of our doings, let us lay our crown at his feet and exclaim, Not I, but the grace of God which was with me. All right. And now our reading, we're going to be reading Nehemiah 11 and Nehemiah 12, verses 1 through 26. We'll be reading 1 Corinthians 10, verses 14 through 33, uh, Psalm 34, verses 11 through 22, and Proverbs 21, verses 14 through 16. So, Nehemiah 11. And the officials of the people lived in Jerusalem, but the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine-tenths remained in the other cities. And the people blessed all the men who freely offered to live in Jerusalem. Now these are the heads of the provinces who lived in Jerusalem. But in the cities of Judah each lived in his own possession in their cities. The Israelites, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the sons of Solomon's servants. And some of the sons of Judah and some of the sons of Benjamin lived in Jerusalem. From the sons of Judah, Athaiah, the son of Uzziah, the son of Zechariah, the son of Amariah, the son of Shephatiah, the son of Mahalah. Mahalalel, from the sons of Perez, and Messiah, the son of Baruch, the son of Kolhose, the son of Hazaiah, the son of Adaiah, the son of Joiarib, the son of Zechariah, the son of the Shilonite, 
All the sons of Perez who lived in Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. Now these are the sons of Benjamin, Salu, the son of Meshulam, the son of Joed, the son of Pediah, the son of Kolaiah, the son of Maasaiah, the son of Ithiel, the son of Jeshiah, and after him, Gabai and Salai, 928. Joel, the son of Zikri, was their overseer, and Judah, the son of Hassanuah, was second in command of the city. From the priests, Jediah, the son of Joiarib, Jashin, Saraiah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Meshulam, the son of Zadok, the son of Meriah, the son of Ahitub, the leader of the house of God, and their relatives who did the work of the house, 822. And Adaiah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Pelaliah, the son of Amzi, the son of Zechariah, the son of Pashur, the son of Malkijah, and his relatives, heads of father's households, 242. And Amashasai, the son of Azarel, the son of Azai, the son of Meshillamoth, the son of Immer, and their relatives, mighty men of valor, 128. And their overseer was Zabdiel, the son of Hagadolim, now from the Levites, Shemaiah, the son of Hashub, the son of Azrikam, the son of Hashabiah, the son of Buni, and Shabbathai, and Josabad, from the chiefs of the Levites who were over the outside work of the house of God. And Madaniah, the son of Micah, the son of Zabdi, the son of Asaph, who was the chief in beginning the thanksgiving and prayer. And Bakpukiah, the second among his relatives, and Abda, the son of Shamua, the son of Galal, the son of Jaduthan. All the Levites in the holy city were 284. Now the gatekeepers, Akub, Talman, and their relatives who kept watch at the gates were 172. The rest of Israel and of the priests and of the Levites were in all the cities of Judah, each on his own inheritance. But the temple servants were living in Ophel and Ziha and Gishba were over the temple servants. Now the overseer I'm sorry, now the overseer of the Levites in Jerusalem was Uzi, the son of Bani, the son of Hashabiah, the son of Madaniah, the son of Micah from the sons of Asaph, who were the singers over the work of the house of God. For there was a commandment from the king concerning them and a firm regulation from the song leaders day by day. Pethahiah, the son of Meshezabel, of the sons of Zerah, the son of Judah, was the king's representative in all matters concerning the people. Now as for the villages with their fields, some of the sons of Judah lived in Kiriath Arba and its towns, in Debon and its towns, and in Jechabzeel and its villages, and in Jeshua, in, Mol in Molada and Beth Palet, and in Hazar Shual, in Beersheba and its towns, and in Ziklag, in Mekona, and in its towns, and in Inrimon, in Zorah, and in Jarmuth, Zenoah, Adullam, and their villages, Lachish and its fields, Azekah and its towns, so they encamped from Beersheba as far as the valley of Hinnom. The sons of Benjamin also lived from, Jeb, from Geba onward as Michmash and Aisha at Bethel and its towns, at Anathoth, Nob, Ananiah, Hazor, Ramah, Getaim, Hadid, Zeboim, Nebalat, Lod, and Ono, the valley of craftsmen. From the Levites, some divisions in Judah belonged to Benjamin. Nehemiah 12, we're doing verses 1 through 26. These are more names, so get ready. Now these are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and, Je and Yeshua, Zerahiah, Jeremiah, Ezra, Amariah, Maluk, Hattush, Shechaniah, 
Rehum, Miramoth, Edo, Genethoi, Abiha, Mijamin, Maadiah, Bilga, Shemaiah, and Joirib, Jediah, Salu, Amok, Hilkiah, and Jediah. These were the heads of the priests and their relatives in the days of Jeshua. The Levites were Jeshua, Benui, Kadmiel, Sherebiah, Judah, and Madaniah, who was over who was over of the songs of thanksgiving, he and his brothers. Also, Bakbukia and Uni, their brothers, stood opposite them in keeping their responsibilities. Jeshua became the father of Joiakim, and Joiakim became the father of Eliashib, and Eliashib became the father of jo- Joiada, and Joiada became the father of Jonathan, and Jonathan became the father of Jadua. Now in the days of Joiakim, the priests, the heads of fathers' households, the, the heads of fathers' households were of Sariah, Moriah, of Jeremiah, Hananiah, of Ezra, Meshulam, of Amariah, Jehohanan, of Maluki, Jonathan, of Shebaniah, Joseph, of Harim, Adna, of Merioth, Merioth, Helkai, of Edo, Zechariah, of Jenathon, Meshulam, of Abiha, Zikri, of Miniamin, of Modiah, Piltai, of Bilga, Shamua, of Shemaiah, Jehonathan, of Joirib, Matanai, of Jediah, Uzi, of Salai, Kalai, of Amok, Eber, of Hilkiah, Hashabiah, of Jediah, Nethanel. As for the Levites in the days of Eliashib, Joiada, and Johanan, and Jedua, the heads of fathers' households were written down. The priests were also in the reign of Darius the Persian. The sons of Levi, the heads of fathers' households, were written down in the book of the Chronicles up to the days of Johanan, the son of Eliashib. The heads of the Levites were Hashabiah, Sherebiah, and Jeshua, the son of Cadmiel, with their brothers opposite them, to praise and give thanks by the commandment of David, the man of God, watch by watch. Madaniah, Bakbukia, Obadiah, Meshulam, Talmud, and Akub were gatekeepers keeping watch at the storerooms of the gates. These served in the days of Joiakim, the son of Jeshua, the son of Josedek, and in the days of Nehemiah, the governor, and of Ezra, the priest and scribe. 1 Corinthians 10:14-33. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to prudent people. You judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Look at the nation Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices shares in the altar? What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but that of the other person. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's as well as its fullness. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, 
eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this is meat consecrated to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. I do not mean your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with gratefulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. All right. Psalm 34, verse 11 through 22. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of Yahweh, who is the man who delights in life and loves many days that he may see good. Guard your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of Yahweh are toward the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry for help. The face of Yahweh is against evildoers, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and Yahweh hears, and delivers them out of all their troubles. Yahweh is near to the brokenhearted, and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the evils against the righteous, but Yahweh delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Yahweh redeems the soul of his slaves, and all those who take refuge in him will not be condemned. All right, and finally, Proverbs six. Uh, sorry, Proverbs twenty-one verses fourteen through sixteen. A gift in secret subdues anger, and a bribe in the bosom strong wrath. To do justice is pleasure for the righteous, but is ruin to the workers of iniquity. A man who wanders from the way of insight will rest in the assembly of the dead. All right. Well, that is our reading for the day. I hope you have yourself a wonderful day and are having a good week. I would continue to implore you to do all you do for the glory of God, as Paul just said, where we read that in 1 Corinthians 10 there, towards the end of that, that chapter. Do all you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you this evening for the evening segment. Have a good day. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Wednesday, August 16th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host, and we're going to continue on in our Bible study of the Gospel of John. We're going to continue in John 11, um, and we're going to be, like I said um, in the morning segment, we're going to be moving into section four. This is the reactions to the resurrection of Lazarus. It's the aftermath of the actual raising of Lazarus. So with that being said, why don't we go ahead and just jump straight in? We'll go ahead and open up and with, with prayer and uh, then we will move on. And I think I forgot to close us with prayer from the morning segment, but such is life. So here, let's open up in prayer for the evening segment. Um, the one we're going to open up with is called Truth in Jesus. Let's pray. Life-giving God, quicken me to call upon thy name, for my mind is ignorant, my thoughts vagrant, my affections earthly, my heart unbelieving, and only thy spirit can help my infirmities. I approach thee as father and friend, my portion forever, my exceeding joy, my strength of heart. 
I believe in thee as the God of nature, the ordainer of providence, the sender of Jesus my Savior. My guilty fears discourage and approach to thee, but I praise thee for the blessed news, that Jesus reconciles thee to me. May the truth that is in him illuminate in me all that is dark. Establish in me all that is wavering, comfort in me all that is wretched, accomplish in me all that is of thy goodness, and glorify in me the name of Jesus. I pass through a veil of tears, but bless thee for the opening gate of glory at its end. Enable me to realize as mine the better heavenly country. Prepare me for every part of my pilgrimage. Uphold my steps by thy word. Let no iniquity dominate me. Teach me that Christ cannot be the way if I am the end that he cannot be redeemer if I am my own savior, that there can be no true union with, with him while the creature has my heart, that faith accepts him as redeemer and Lord or not at all. Amen. We need to remember that last part, that faith accepts him as redeemer and Lord or not at all um, when we get into our Bible study for today, um, because we're going to talk about that, that, that there, there, it is an either or. So, all right, our evening devotion is, um, from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. The text is from Romans 8.23. Ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Present possession is declared at this present... I'm sorry, present possession is declared. At this present moment, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have repentance, that gem of the first water. Faith, that priceless pearl. Hope, the heavenly emerald. And love, the glorious ruby. We are already made new creatures in Christ Jesus by the effectual working of God the Holy Ghost. This is called the first fruit because it comes first. As the wave sheaf was the first of the harvest, so the spiritual life and all the graces which adorn that life are the first operations of the Spirit of God in our souls. The first fruits were the pledge of the harvest. As soon as the Israelite had plucked the first handful of ripe ears, he looked forward with glad anticipation to the time when the wane should creak beneath the sheaves. So, brethren, when God gives us things which are pure, lovely, and of good report as the work of the Holy Spirit, there are to us the, the prog prognostics of the coming glory. The first fruits were always holy to the Lord, and our new nature, with all its powers, is a consecrated thing. The new life is not ours that we should ascribe its excellence to our own merits. It is Christ's image and creation and is ordained for his glory. But the first fruits were not the harvest, and the works of the Spirit in us at this moment are not the consummation. The perfection is yet to come. We must not boast that we have attained, and so reckon the wave sheaf to be all the produce of the year. We must hunger and thirst after righteousness, and pant for the day of full redemption. Dear reader, this evening open your mouth wide, and God will fill it. Let the boon in present possession excite in you a sacred avarice for more grace. Groan within yourself for higher degrees of consecration, and your Lord will grant them to you, for he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we ask or even think. Yes, he is. All right. Well, like I said, we're going to get get on, get back into our Bible study in John chapter 11. Um, like I've said before, we had three sections here. Um, and again, this, this is all occurring. So remember, this is all occurring in the four-month period between um, the Feast of Dedication, which we saw covered um, in the last half or so of John chapter 10, uh, verses 22 through 42. It was um, the, the 
Yeah, what am I trying to say? Um, it was the Pharisees, the, the the Jewish leadership, the Jews rejecting the claims of Christ. And that was all around the Feast of Dedication. And then we've got this happening. So as that finished, he went off to Bethany, um, east of the Jordan River. That's Bethany out in Perea, not the Bethany that is within two miles of Jerusalem. But he gets a message. We see that. So part one of this was the preparation for Jesus going. Um, this is before Jesus went. And we saw the message come to him. The message came um, to from the concerned sisters, Martha and Mary, to Jesus, indicating that the one he loved was sick. And we see Jesus wait a couple of days. You know, he tells them that, that you know, hey, Lazarus is sick, but this this doesn't this this is not going to lead to his death. So um, and so they wait a couple of days. Jesus makes them wait a couple of days. Then Jesus goes to go and they're like, well, wait a minute. He, it, why are we going? You know, they were already trying to kill you, which we saw there. Um, John 9 and 10. But we've seen them doing that since John chapter 5. Again, like I've said before, John 5 through John 10. And, and we're going to see it here at the end of John 11 as well. That the Jewish leadership, the Jews, as John the Apostle. And don't ever forget that. John the Apostle, when he's speaking Jews, and I'm going to say it again. And I know I've said it before. He's speaking of those that are the Jewish leadership, the Jewish religious leadership. That's who he's referring to. They are murderous. They are hateful. They are angry. They are hostile. And they are murderous towards Jesus and his claims to be the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. No matter how much he's proved it, it, it it's not. It, it's like casting pearls before swine. It is. It, it doesn't matter what facts are given. It doesn't matter which, what signs have been shown. They are not going to convert. They are not going to believe. Okay. So we've seen them behave that way and to the point of behaving murderously. They want to kill him off because the fact is he's, he's, it's like he's showing a mirror, using a mirror to show the Israelites the hypocrisy of what they've turned, of, of what these Jews, these Jewish leaders have turned what should have been a beautiful thing from God into. Okay. So. Jesus says, I'm going the, uh, the disciples, those, the cautious disciples as Dr. MacArthur refers to them. The cautious disciples are like, wait a minute. They're going to try to kill you. Like I just mentioned, they're going to try to kill you. And he said, but our brother has fallen asleep. You know, uh, Lazarus fallen asleep, meaning they're dead. Well, they think he's talking about just falling asleep. And it's like, you know, their, their thought process is, is okay, good. He's able to get to sleep. He's able to get rest. He'll get better. Jesus has to make clear, listen, he's dead. And I'm glad that this has happened. Not that he's glad Lazarus is dead or that, like I said before, Martha and Mary are going through this trauma, but that Lazarus has passed so that Jesus can come and that he and the father can be glorified. And as important as that is that the strength of the 12, the, the faith of the 12 will be strengthened. Now we got to think about how important that is, that their faith be strengthened. When he is crucified, sorry about that, when he is crucified and then resurrected and the mission he sends them on, we have to remember that from all the records we have, that everybody but John, the one who wrote this gospel, is executed in some fashion or another. Okay, we have to remember that. It is going to be hard. The fact is, it's hard today. It's hard today. And believe me, as hard as it is today, um, pastor Jay, I've, I've not yet see, seen somebody try to kill him for giving the gospel from our pulpit. 
Okay. I've, I've not had that happen to me, but in their case, I mean, we saw with Paul, um, I believe it was an Iconium. They stoned him. I mean, they, they turned around at first. They were like, wow, this is amazing. Look what he's doing, this teaching and everything. Um, and some Jews got frustrated with it, stirred up the crowd and convinced them into stoning him to what would have seemed death. Well, he gets back up. And the fact is he comes back in later. He leaves, goes to a couple other cities and then comes back. Okay. But so uh, again, you know, they're, they're, he's like, you, you need to be strengthened. So that's the thing. This is, this is so your faith will be strengthened. So he gets there and he both engages with Martha and then with Mary, um, about this and makes clear to them, you know, this is so that you will see the glory. Like we talked about with Martha, that you are going to see the glory of God because of your belief. And I mean, Martha's very, very clear. She knows he's the Christ. She's very clear. She knows he's the Christ. And I would assume Mary knows the same thing. But at the same time, the mourners, we talked about the mourners there. A lot of these are the Jews from Jerusalem. The Jewish leadership from Jerusalem have come out. Like we talked about, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus are from a what seems to be a pretty prominent family there in Bethany, which is less than two miles from Jerusalem. Thus why the, the 12 were afraid. You know, they, uh, like we said before, Thomas showed his bravery, said we need to go with him um, so that we can die with him. So a little bit pessimistic, but they showed some bravery there, or he showed some bravery there um, to go. But again, he's walking into a dangerous, dangerous area where he's already at risk, but he gets there and he shows his compassion. He shows his concern and his frustration. We talked about that, him being moved, that it was a movement in some cases to anger and frustration at what sin has done, what this, that sin has driven the, the hypocritical, uh, um, actions of these Jewish leadership, which has led to this point, you know, with all of this and, and they're out here and they're probably sitting there going, Oh, this Jesus guy's here. Let's watch him. Let, let's see if we can find something to throw, throw around his neck again, you know, there or to try to do it the first time because they've never yet really been able to convict him of anything. Um, but then we see him raise Lazarus. We, you know, we see him go open the tomb and, and, Martha's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, she's still, and I'm sorry, I, I, my wife, it drives me nuts or drives my wife nuts when I do that. But again, she's like, wait a minute. He's been in the grave four days. He stinks. And, uh, you know, showing that she still doesn't, as much as she knows about Jesus, as much as she trusts him, as much as she knows he's the Messiah, she doesn't have the belief that he can bring him back from the dead. But again, we see him do exactly that. We see him manifest that power, that power, the power of creation to, to raise that man from the dead. We see him raise him from the dead. And again, like I brought up last night, he brought him back to physical life. But isn't that what he did for us with our spiritual life? You know, again, Lazarus came back into a physical body like you and I have. So he's going to have to die again. But didn't, hasn't Jesus come and as he said, Lazarus come forth, forth, doesn't he go to you and I, and in my case, go Wayne, come forth from my spiritual blindness, my spiritual death. Doesn't he do that? And how amazing that is. But so what we're now going to see is we're going to see the reactions to the resurrection. And I'm sorry, I know this is a long lead in, but we need to, we need to grasp all of this. Um, but that's what we're going to see here is 
we're going to see the reactions to the resurrection of Lazarus. And as I said, there's three different groups we're going to we're going to see here. We're going to see the many here in the very first verse. And we're going to see the murderous through most of these verses. And we're going to see the multitude in the last four verses of this. So this closes out this chapter. And this here, the first part, actually John 10 ended the public ministry. And this is kind of an interlude as then we go into the final Passion Week. So verse 45 is our sole verse for today. So Jesus has said, unbind him and let him go. Verse 44. So verse 45, therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done, believed in him. So let's talk about that, this. So we've seen throughout the gospel of John, we've seen multiple times throughout the gospel of John, where it's spoken of people believing. And we've talked about in a number of cases like, um, well, the woman at the well, and then the villagers of Sychar. What we saw there was a true saving faith, a true coming to believe. The belief we see manifested by Martha and Mary, and, and we would assume Lazarus, a true saving faith. Um, Joseph of Arimathea, after Jesus is crucified, um, you know, uh, we see a true saving faith there. But we also see in a lot of cases where it talks about people believing him, they believe in him as a miracle worker. They believe in him that he's able to do these things, but it's more like, um, it's more like what a neat sideshow. Hey, this is cool. Let's, let's go see. It's like, um, in, in our case, we live in a, here in Tucson, we have an air force base. And when an air show comes, Oh, everybody, let's go see the, the, the jet fighters. I mean, not that we don't have jets flying around anyways, but we get to see stuff we don't normally get to see. So everybody will run over there to see these cool things that that's what we're talking about, you know, is, is it's that kind of, that kind of surface level belief that, that, that not really taking it seriously kind of thing. So we have to ask ourselves. So with these many, what kind of response are we talking about? Cause that's what we're looking at is what are the reactions? What is the response to the resurrection of Lazarus? And let's be clear. And so I'm, I'm coming back to, um, uh, where do we go? I'm coming back to the um, what we saw in our prayer that opened this up. That faith accepts him as Redeemer and Lord or not at all. That in a nutshell describes the only reactions there can be to Jesus. Not just to this resurrection, but to Jesus. But, but the reactions to this resurrection make it clear. We're going to talk about three different groups of people, but the fact is you're only going to see one of two reactions here. You either accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, or you don't. There is no in-between. There is no other. Um, the, the people that try to go, oh, well, he was a really good teacher. Well, you know what? If he's not the Messiah, then he's a liar. So how is he a really good teacher? He's a liar. He's been lying to people. And he's been lying to people for through through the scripture for 2,000 years. You know? Um, <laughs> so that doesn't fly. There's, there's no in-between ground. Either you accept him as Lord and Savior, and I'm saying it in that order on purpose, because he cannot be your Savior if he is not your Lord. And I know here in the United States... Uh, we're real big about our independence and our, our own rights and all that kind of stuff. Guess what? We're either a slave to Satan or we're a slave to Christ. 
I don't care if you like that wording or not, but that's the fact. We are a slave to Satan or we're a slave to Christ. And so in this case, talking of the many, therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done, believed in him. These are people manifesting the characteristics of being slaves of Christ, of responding in the fact of Jesus being their Lord and Savior. And so you would ask, well, it just says believed here. No, and no, it's not a, some other Greek word or some anything like that that says it. But when we look at these other were at these these other verses that are going to come up, and we're not going to dig deep into them right now, but, but I'm trying to tell you this is what this verse says. When we look at verses 46 through 57, we're going to see very clearly the contrast, even the contrast between verse 45 and 40, 46 alone, make clear. Oh, I'll go ahead and do verse 46 for you. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. They're directly compared. Verse 45, the many there are compared directly against those that ran off like tattletales to the Pharisees. Now, don't get me wrong. Obviously, Jesus is not doing this in the quiet. I mean, he stood up and shouted out, Lazarus, come forth. He's not trying to hide any of this. So, so don't misunderstand that. But basically, here's somebody running off the tattle to the Pharisees to, to try to get the... To, to see what the Pharisees are going to do, to try to get the Pharisees to do something about this Jesus guy. And believe me, as often as the Pharisees have responded in a hostile and murderous way, the people running off to tell the Pharisees knew how they were going to respond. Don't, don't think that, that this is in a vacuum and they're just running off to be informative to the Pharisees. No, no, no. They're running off to be tattletales. So that's the comparison here. Um, somebody who is truly saved would not do so. The, the comparison there is somebody who is truly saved and is responding in a loving way and coming to a true belief because of what they've seen. They've seen him bring this man to life. They've seen him perform the final of the miracles recorded here in John and, and, and notably the greatest of them other than his own death and resurrection, the greatest of them. He brings this man back to life. Okay. Which, like I've said, is a foreshadowing of his own death and resurrection, but is also um, a depiction of the spiritual resurrection he provides by bringing us to a saving faith, by the Holy Spirit working in us and bringing us to a saving faith in Christ through the work that Christ did on the cross. So again, th this is what we're looking at. These are truly believed. And you'll see the same thing, um, the comparison between them and then the murderous, the, the verses, which, you know, verses 47 down through uh, 53 um, and 53 in ends it there. So from that day on, they plan together to kill him. And those are the murderous. And, and we'll go through those in detail over the next couple of days, God willing. But again, we have the many here responding in a manner that Jesus is their Lord and Savior in true, true Christian love. This is their Lord and Savior. They, 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 they can't respond any other way. And again, we've got to remember that. It is way too easy in this world for us to get caught up in the worldly, in the earthly, in, in the temporal 
Um, I, I tend to like to use that word. I hope I don't, I don't confuse anybody when I use it, but to refer to the physical, the material world that we, that we interact with the temporal versus the spiritual. Um, but again, in our world, we can get so caught up with it that we let other things become our Lord. We let other things become our Lord. I'm sorry. Um, I, I've watched, and I'm not going to get into this, though I thought about having Tara and I do a special episode about it, um, though I've had brothers of mine, brother brothers of mine do podcast episodes regarding this, and I'm not going to, I'm not even going to name the topic, but there are people out there that are absolutely certain, and I'm going I'm to be upfront, I'm not a hater, I'm not, but there are people out there that are absolutely certain that Donald J. Trump is the Messiah. And, you know, you can sit there and laugh and go, oh, yeah, all right. No, really, the, the way they behave, the, the, way, the way they fetch and step, the way, they, the way they just hover around and the way they rabidly go after anybody that questions that makes clear they see him as the Messiah. Now, don't get me wrong. I voted for him. Absolutely. Um, I was pleased with his presidency. I, I'm not, I'm not going to argue that. But he's not the Messiah. He's not the Messiah. And honestly, in this upcoming election, I don't think he's the best choice. I, I, I honestly wish he would step back because the fact is, I feel like he is going to, and this is just my personal opinion. And again, I'm not trying to make political arguments. I'm really not. Um, but I wish, I wish he would step back because I feel like he's going to galvanize everybody that's anti-Trump and they will defeat anybody that could truly bring this country back onto level footing who, who I would agree needs to be some form of a conservative, not a liberal, but, um, but again, you know, I, whatever happens happens. Fact is if he ends up being, um, the person up there, I may end up having to vote feeling like I have to vote for him again. Um, I hope not, um, that just my personal opinion, but again, he is not our savior. When we, when we do stuff like that, when we try to put that out there and act like that, um, and, and honestly, in some cases, it's people put in politics. It's not even just him. Um, and it's not even just anybody else. But they try to put their politics out there in front of their faith in God. I mean, the fact is, we as Christians, I know for a fact that the times I'm in the pulpit in our church, the times I'm doing this with you here on, on the air, um, my, my, my mission is to bring you the gospel. Because Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and Jesus Christ, and I want Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. I want Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. Because that is most critical. Because without that, the only thing you have to look forward to is an eternity in hell. And believe me, hell is not some party out there. So, we see here, we've, we've, we've seen, we've been blessed with the fact as we've gone through John 11 here, we've seen here this amazing, massive miracle. But what did I say the sinner was? It was glory, be, glory being brought to God and glory being brought to Jesus Christ. That glory showing clearly that he is the Christ, the son of God. And to see that, and, and, and that, that's the purpose. I, we've talked about it before. That is the purpose of the gospel of John. To show us that he is the Christ, the son of God, so that in believing in that, we would be 
we would have life in his name. We would have eternal life. That is the whole purpose of this gospel. And we see it manifest right here in verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done, believed in him, became slaves to Christ. And how blessed they were to do so. Because the fact is, it was a very, very, very small remnant among Israel in first century Israel, first century Palestine, that came to a saving faith in Christ. You can, you can tell that by the, by the reading. Not only here, but reading in Josephus. You can, you can tell that. Um, Josephus being a first century historian. Um, Jewish historian, um, and actually, I didn't. I found that out last night studying, and actually, a Pharisee. So we'll we'll talk about a little bit of that tomorrow, um, about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Some as we get into the murderous, because that's the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But again, our our, our kind of crux of this is we see the reaction of the many that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, because either he is or he isn't. There's no in between, and if he is. You'll have eternal life, eternal life in heaven with Christ and with God in their presence. If not, you're going to hell. You're going to hell and you're going to face God's wrath for eternity. That's all there is to it. That, that's you and me. And I'm not just saying you, I'm saying you and me. If, if, if Jesus is not our Lord and Savior, if we're not slaves of Christ, we're slaves of the devil and that's where we're going. And so we've seen the response here of the many. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. But we're going to see in the murderous and in the multitudes, and the murderous directly hostile, and in the multitudes, they don't seem to care, which, which is the same thing. They don't seem to care, which is the same thing. He's not their Lord and Savior. They're slaves of the devil. And that's what we're going to see over the next couple of nights, God willing. All right, well, that's going to do it for tonight. Let's go ahead and we will close up with the fourth day evening prayer. God all sufficient. Let's pray. King of glory, divine majesty, every perfection adorns thy nature and sustains thy throne. The heavens and earth are thine. The world is thine in its fullness. Thy power created the universe from nothing. Thy wisdom has managed all its multiple concerns, presiding over nations, families, individuals. Thy goodness is boundless. All creatures wait on thee, are supplied by thee, are satisfied in thee. How precious are the thoughts of thy mercy and grace. How excellent thy loving kindness that draws men to thee. Teach us to place our happiness in thee, the blessed God, never seeking life among the dead things of earth, or asking for that which satisfies the deluded. But may we prize the light of thy smile, implore the joy of thy salvation, find our heaven in thee. Thou hast attended to our happiness more than we can do. Though we are fallen creatures, thou hast not neglected us. In love and pity, thou hast provided us a Savior. Apply his redemption to our hearts by justifying our persons and sanctifying our natures. We confess our transgressions. Have mercy on us. We are weary. Give us rest. Ignorant, make us wise unto salvation. Helpless, let thy strength be made perfect in our weakness. Poor and needy, bless us with Christ's unsearchable riches. Perplexed and tempted, let us travel on, unchecked, undismayed, knowing that thou hast said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Blessed be thy name. Amen. All right, well, I hope you have a wonderful knife. Wonderful knife. Wow, sorry. A, a wonderful night? <laughs> I combined two things at once. A wonderful night.
Um, thank you for spending this time with me. I hope it's been edifying. Um, I hope it has equipped you. I hope it helps to shape your walk so that you and I, our Ephesians 4 walk, that worthy walk, our walks become more and more like God, more and more, we're more and more, um, uh, wow, I went blank on the word, uh, but we're more and more like God. We're more and more like Christ. We are images of them. Um, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless.